Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship's Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Paul Francisco. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. Well, praise God. It's been a already great time in the Lord with all of you worshiping this morning. I want to do something a little bit different. I don't normally do this, and I hope you don't mind this, brother. But I believe in giving credit to where credit's due. And um, just so you know, I mean, this building doesn't belong to us. And every Sunday, we have to set things up um, in order to have service. And uh, one dear brother, Deacon Norm, uh, is always faithfully here opening up the building very early and always getting things going with the chairs and whether we have the Lord's Supper with the coffee and everything. And uh, I'm just looking today. I mean, we have to bring out some extra chairs and probably next week we probably need to even go up further. But with that said, I praise God because we have brothers and sisters who serve our church so faithfully. So, Brother Norm, we just want to say thank you. So, as you guys who've been following along with me, we finished the book of Esther, and uh, we've taken a, a, a small break before we go into our next book uh, of the Bible in the New Testament. Um, and so, we've been working through our covenant. And so, this is the fifth of the five sermons uh, in our covenant. And our covenant. Uh, as a church, is basically capturing the spirit behind not only what we believe, but how we worship, how we conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we have three uh, distinctives that I would say that we are committed to. First, you guys heard that we are committed to the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. And, and, and we heard that from Second. Uh, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And then we we are to be committed. Who remembers this, the second one? Anyone remember? Committed. So we're committed to the truth. We're committed to gospel community. Gospel community. In other words, the way we conduct ourselves as the body of Christ is not just a Sunday morning. It's not enough. Uh, with our time of worship and with me preaching, it's not enough to feed our souls by itself. Not only do we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and spend time in the word with him and in prayer with him, but we, God has intended us not to be alone. So we are to be with one another. And through that one another, we have the opportunity to gather during the week in what we call care groups. You can call them small groups, life groups, whatever. It's all the same concept. But we gather in homes throughout the week. Uh, we have a group on the northeast, and we have a group uh, that the Lord's given me the privilege to facilitate on the west side as well. Um, and then we even have a faithful women's Bible study that's been going on uh, every week, Mondays, and I think even on Thursdays now, uh, where they, they study together. Uh, and then we have a group of men that meet very early on uh, Thursday mornings on the Northeast at IHOP, and they, they, they gather to, to encourage one another. And then there's many other opportunities throughout the week. Uh, right here at the BSM building, we have a partnership with our uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, at the, through, especially through UTEP, but through all the colleges, students that come right here. And on Wednesdays, uh, like I had the awesome privilege this Wednesday being a part of that, where they, they have a lunch, they invite all the faculty and the staff and the students and even their staff, even from these medical buildings have come out here and have a meal. This last Wednesday, I'm so encouraged to see over 100 people. I mean, this whole side over here was filled and all this was filled back here of students. And that's an opportunity to do stuff like that. So all that said, we were to be committed to gospel community. And then thirdly, as we've had the last two messages, committed to disciple making. Last week, we heard a a hard truth message from Colossians, right? And then, and today, 
uh, we're also going to hear some hard truth um, about disciple making from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verse 1 through 5. We're actually going to look even further in that and even in another text. And so I'll give you a little disclaimer. Today's message, even though it's still expositional, it's more topical because I'm going to be dealing with a couple texts here and kind of exposing these texts all together so we can just really understand what God wants from us in, in our, our covenant principle number three, committed to disciple making. So as we look at our time here, I want to start off by sharing a few things with you. So out of the Christian, all Christian giving in the entire world for all causes, you know how much goes to finance church planting and unreached people groups from every dollar? Yeah, some of you were paying attention last week. So some may be optimistic and give an answer 25 cents, while others may even say 5 cents. However, less than one penny out of every dollar given to all Christian causes goes to pioneer church planning for unreached people groups. This should shock us and stir within our hearts a need to radically give for the sake of the nations, especially for the 7,300 unreached people groups of the world. These are unreached. Now, there's more than that. There's 16,700 people groups in the world. So if we put it up here on the, the screen here, our covenant principle number three, committed disciple making, we have three things here, and it's the, the, the middle paragraph that we're going to particularly focus deeply on, but I'll just read all three for me. It says, I will participate. That means take part in, right? right? Participate in fostering a healthy culture of disciple making by reaching, that means sharing the gospel, teaching, and training others to follow Christ. You guys see any of that language in the Great Commission? Yeah, I think so, right? It says, go therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you to the end of age, right? Secondly, we have, I will be a wise steward of God's resources. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Wise steward of God's resources by giving cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly to support not only Grace Bible Fellowship Ministries here, but the needs of the saints and the spread of the gospel to all nations. You know, you're giving. Now, we don't do an alt you know, a special offering here every Sunday and pass out plates and, you know, do it in front of everybody and pray. Um, although that's not wrong, but did you know your giving in itself is an act of worship? It's saying, hey God, I trust you. I trust you for my provision, for my needs. And I'm going to give back a portion of what you have given to me. See, it's not our money. It's God's money, right? And so, that is very important for us. And then lastly, we have, I will seek opportunities to regularly build redemptive relationships in order to effectively share my faith because the love of Christ controls me, or you could say compels me, to share the message of reconciliation as an ambassador for Christ. Hallelujah. We are ambassadors Amen. for Christ. Not just... Washington, D.C., representing the country. No, we are all representatives of the one true ruler, and that's King Jesus. Hallelujah. So from today's text and our time today, here's my proposition for you. If we are to obey the great commission mandate, we must have radical hearts of generosity for Christ and all peoples so that the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. This will require radical praying, giving, and going. So to give you a little context to our text today, because I don't just like to drop things in and artificially put my own thoughts in here. This is Paul's second letter um, to the Corinthians. 
that's recorded in Scripture, and it discusses some of the things previously addressed, but also deals with new issues. So what we have is, in 1 Corinthians, uh, there's a call for believers to be unified with each other. While in 2 Corinthians, Paul urges the church to be unified with him in ministry. It includes stirring perspectives on gospel ministry in chapters 2 through 5. And it encourages holy living. In other words, pursuing purity and, and, and sanctified lives in Christ as children of God in chapters 6 and 7. And then we have instructions on giving in chapters 8 and 9, what we're going to look at today. So Paul wrote this letter from Macedonia a year after writing 1 Corinthians. So today's points, if you like to take down notes, your roadmap, is radical generosity. Radical generosity. What does that look like? It, it, it first has to be a heart commitment to Christ. We have to have a commitment to Christ first. Secondly, a heart commitment for people. You notice that in the great commandment, Jesus says to love who? Love one another. First, he tells us to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, or strength, right? Depending what version you look at. Then he says to love God or love others as yourself. Okay, and then thirdly, we have a heart commitment to take action. So it, when we are committed to Christ in our hearts and we are committed to loving others, then it's only natural that behavior follows, right? So as we look at this first point, I want to kind of take us to uh, one of my heroes in the faith. His name is George Mueller. George Mueller was an, an evangelist and he was the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage. He was responsible for essentially five or orphanages, orphanage homes being built during his ministry and the care of over 10,000 children before his death. What was extraordinary concerning his ministry is he never, ever took a salary in his entire ministry. His ministry was marked by faithfulness and God-sized prayers. George once preached a message in the chapel about prayer in London, exhorting these words. He says this, I quote, God in his grace made it abundant provision in giving, most precious and encouraging promises concerning prayer. So that if we would take their trials, difficulties, afflictions, and temptations to their Heavenly Father, seeking His strength, His counsel, and His guidance, and acting according to the loving counsel and advice given in the Scriptures, casting all your cares upon Him, the position of most of the children of God would be very different from what it is. Hmm. Isn't that so true? George was profoundly impacted by prayer in relying on God's provision. He took nothing in wages and gave freely, even while being affected by disease himself. How can someone live in such a radical way? Because this is radical for us, especially our comfortable American lives, right? To live in such a way. Radical generosity comes from a heart condition. This diagnosis for this condition is, is a radical commitment of the heart. See, the chief aim of man is to glorify God. And that's our purpose in life. This is like that catechism that uh, we've taught you even from here and I do with my children. So how do you glorify God? Or it, it, we, One of the questions I ask my children, just even from infancy when changing diapers on the table, just keep repeating this until said, so why did God make you? And the answer is to glorify God. And then the second is, is, is how do you glorify God? By loving him and obeying his commands. John Piper says it this way. It's all over the Bible. You're on the planet by God's design in order to make him look magnificent. You're not on your own. 
You were made and you were redeemed, bought for his glory to make him look great. That's why we're here. That's number one. If you don't bring your life into sync with that, you waste it. You throw it away, and in the end, you will lose it. So how do we glorify God? I think Luke records Jesus' answer here. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Hallelujah. So if we exist to glorify God, then these are the two reasons for existing. We were made to delight in God and do good to others. Therefore, the glory of God and joy and people are in perfect harmony in God's design. In other words, if we want to glorify God, then we are wired to help others. And this writing comes from our heart commitment to Christ. First, let's look at the text here. The focus on verses 4 through 5. The text tells us, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You see, the Macedonians who were in poverty begged to help the saints. They begged to help the saints. This is like if we go out here in our streets where we have some homeless walking out in here, and instead of us thinking that we're ministering to, no, they had such a radical heart for Christ that they actually wanted to take part in serving us. This is not what we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Their hearts were filled with radical generosity because they had committed their hearts to Christ first. This is precisely what the Lord requires of us, beloved. We want to strive towards the goal of being wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, saints. Christian, do we have the this kind of desire in our hearts? You see, when we finally come to realizing nothing is ours and recognize any possession we have is the Lord's, it changes everything. This means our homes, our car, our money, our jobs, and yes, our families, our time. And the list continues to go on. Nothing, nothing is ours. They are all gifts from above and, and hands, and our hands need to be open. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 17 tells us, do not be, de be deceived, my beloved brothers, or like my sister said, sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Amen. You see, we can only give generously if we give ourselves over to Christ first. Anything less, we will only give out of compulsion or be seeking our own glory. If we're reading the example of the Macedonians, it should perk our interest. Where, where, where are these people and why do they care so much? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Got your Bibles, open it up. You got your phones with it on there, open that up. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Because I don't want you to just hear me say it, I want you to see it for yourself. It's in Scripture. We turn to Acts chapter 16, we'll see that God led the apostle to them. 
It was there in Philippi, which was in Macedonia. A woman was saved. She was radically changed in her heart. And after hearing the gospel, Lydia was amongst women who heard Paul sitting and preaching. Acts chapter 16, beginning verse 6, the Holy Spirit writes these words. And they went through the region. A Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and the vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is the leading city of the district of where? Macedonia. And a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. We remained in the city for these days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one heard us, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what, what was said by Paul. And after was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She prevailed upon us. Did you notice that Lydia received the word and was baptized? This is why we're baptistic in our doctrine, right? It's an outward symbol of an inward change, an inward transformation. It's an outward profession of what been, has been inwardly done within us. And immediately after she receives the word, she is baptized. She committed her heart to Christ and acted in, in obedience. Then, immediately afterwards, she committed her heart to, to extend hospitality. Obedience. Obedience follows belief. Anything else is false conversion. Therefore, I say it's hypocrisy to say you believe and deny his lordship. It really is. Listen to me, friends. If we say we love Christ, if we say we follow Christ and want to deny the fact that he is Lord over our lives, we're being hypocrites. But let us continue to read about another Philippian. Verse 16. This is what the Holy Spirit writes here. It says, as we were going to the, the place of prayer, we, we were met by a slave girl. We had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain for fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. <laughs> she didn't just do it once, because look, here in verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having been greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Look at this lie. And then when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are the Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate for customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in and attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, 
he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks. These are chaps, bonds, right? Then, about the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, they're in jail, okay? And they're praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prisoner doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This is what you call great jailbreak, right? No. Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And then he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his, all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. This is God's word for God's people this morning. Okay, so first we read about this demon possession. And the Apostle Paul gets annoyed and he just casts the demon out in the name of Jesus, right? Then, it causes these corrupt men to stir up a crowd against Paul and Silas. They're upset. <laughs> He's taken away their money-making scheme. And so they land in jail where the story really gets interesting because instead of being woe is me or feeling bad about themselves, or it's like they're happy to be in jail. Paul and Silas just break out in spontaneous worship and prayer and singing while in jail. And this leads to a supernatural earthquake causing the chains to fall off. That reminds me of that song, right? Oh, yeah. Amazing Grace with the chains falling off, right? My chains are gone. You want to talk about spirit-filled worship, brothers and sisters? However, the jailer was in great distress. He was about to take his own life. But Paul cries out saying, we're right here. Don't do it. And then leading the jailer to ask them a question in awe and fear of God. He asked them, what must I do to be saved? Does our worship lead people to ask that question? Here's a little side note. You see, our gathering and our worship matters, beloved. What we pray, what we sing, and what we preach matters. It must be God-honor-fine, Christ-exalting, word-saturated in the gospel. Does our worship cause those listening to ask us about the gospel? So the jailer hears the word and he responds in the same fashion as Lydia. His heart is filled with joy and overflows in obedience and care for Paul and Silas. So he receives the word. He asks the question. He receives the word. He gets baptized and he says, okay, now let me serve you. Let me clean up your wounds and put some food in front of you. What must I do to be saved? He commits himself to the Lord, and then his heart is turned towards others. See, radical generosity first starts with a heart commitment to Christ. Then it will lead to a heart commitment for people. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is so important. Don't miss this. The grace of God is so important here to remember and understand. That's what it says in the text about the grace of God. We cannot do anything on our own accord. Yet with Christ in you. Yet not I, but Christ in me. I can understand severe test of afflictions. And I can understand the abundance of joy. Although not usually in the same sentence, right? But can, how can one in extreme poverty respond with a wealth of generosity? It's, I can't even comprehend this apart from grace. It must be grace. Nothing else can explain this. And not just grace in the general sense. It must be the grace of God given to us through salvation. Just like Lydia and the jailer who received the gospel first, it was a gift of God's grace bestowed on them. And they were filled with joy. In their overflow of joy in God's grace, they were able to commit themselves first to the Lord, a heart commitment to Christ, then a heart commitment for others. Listen to me. If you are a Christian, a generated, truly regenerated heart believer by the Holy Spirit through the power of God's word, Committed to Christ, you should be wired to help from the heart. We must care for others in their needs. This includes both their physical and their spiritual needs. We must care as a wholehearted follower of Christ. One preacher said it this way, I quote, I would like you to look on any pain in your friend's life with compassion. A sore throat. Or the loss of their mom or the announcement they have cancer cancer whatever it is I want you to be the kind of person from Jesus's parable the Good Samaritan who can't walk by on the other side you can't do it you're just wired to think this way I can't walk by and leave this person alone they have a need and I have some resource but in that I want your heart to be whole and real and inclusive of all that God is and all that he teaches. That means there is a heaven and there's a hell and everybody is bound one way or other. If you try to fill a person's belly but don't care about where they're going, you don't love them. I don't care what you fill in your heart or how many needs on the planet you have laid down your life to meet. Now this is love, caring for souls so that we are radical in our generosity. Hallelujah. Now where do I get this from? I mean, I want to be biblical here, right? So look at the text again. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We read through verses 1 through 5, but I want you to just go down a few more verses to verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for the sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Now, this is the message we should carry. This is the message which caused our hearts to be committed to Christ, which ought to overflow in a wealth of generosity towards others. You see, the Macedonians fell in love with Jesus. And when the Macedonians fell in love with Jesus, what happened? They're still poor. And they get afflicted. 
shuts down any prosperity gospel argument. Right? So when we hear this in our social media all over the place, so grateful for this new car, blessed, right? So thankful for this job, blessed. And, you know, and it's not wrong. We know those are blessings. Those are gifts from God, right? Children are a blessing from the Lord. But we must be careful. Because what are we communicating to our brothers and sisters in chains when we're associating blessing with health, wealth, and prosperity? You can't have children. You must be cursed, not blessed. You're poor. You're not blessed. You're this. You're not blessed. That is a false gospel, brothers and sisters. That is a false gospel. You know what the blessing is? Brother Doug knows what I He hears me say it all the time. What's the blessing, brother? Jesus. That's the blessing. You're never going to be more blessed than anything else in all the world, in all of your life, but then through Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised from the dead on behalf of your sin and my sin. Amen? Their poverty didn't disappear, or at least not right away. It's not the foundation of their joy. Neither was the absence of affliction. So your joy must be in grace. That's what their joy was in. And in their joy in God's grace, they were moved to be committed to others. Paul was collecting money for the poor in Jerusalem. We know this from numerous other texts in the Bible. Paul knew the Macedonians weren't a wealthy people, and he asked any help. He said to these poor people who were being persecuted, would you give? Would you be generous? We, would you get outside of your own little selfish world and minister to the poor in Jerusalem? Okay, now I'm treading the water here, right? Because this is not popular. This is not a popular message to think about here in the U.S., is it? What if this was said to you, Grace Bible Fellowship? To you, saints in the Lord? How will you respond if it was said, if, if your hearts were truly committed to Christ, you would radically give to support the Great Commission and share with those who are poor in spirit? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Seven thousand six hundred unreached people groups in the world. 7.8 billion people living in the present age with only about 10%. That means 780 million people following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, attending church, trying to live out the gospel in their lives. And everybody else, nearly 7 billion people, are living in a perpetual state of perishing from this world to the next, in eternity, separated from God in hell. Does that sit right with you? And then less than one penny out of every dollar is going to reach the unreached people groups in the world. You see, the Macedonians not only gave in joy, but they begged to take part in it. They gave beyond their means. Let that sink in for a minute. They didn't just give. They gave beyond their means. For in a, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their, their hearts. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now this is a heart condition that has been radically transformed. First, a heart commitment to Christ, then a heart commitment for people. 
And all of this led them to have a heart commitment to take action. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. You see, the brothers Paul mentions here are the Christians in Corinth, which are in the southern region of Greece. Then he alludes, going to allude to those who are in Macedonia, which are in the northern Greece region. You see, the apostle, he has been there already and is collecting money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Something amazing happens amongst the believers of Macedonia. They respond with amazing generosity. And he's going to tell the story to motivate the Corinthians. God shows up in power amongst the poverty-stricken Macedonians. And they're filled with great joy in being radical, generous givers. This is the glory of God coming through the joy of loving people. Let's look at another example of a Macedonian who happens to be a Philippian. I alluded to this last week. Epaphroditus was one of the Macedonians led to take action. We heard last week about he, how he completed what was lacking in service to Paul. Philippians chapter 2. Turn there with me. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 25. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 25 of Philippians. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he, he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what, what was what? Lacking in your service to me. Like Lydia and the Philippian jailer, the church of Philippi heard the word and were filled with joy and salvation. With their hearts committed to Christ, they are now committed to others and they are moved to action by sending Epaphroditus to deliver a gift to Paul. All this was at the risk of his life and in their church's poverty and joy. Now, where do I get this from? How do I know these were the same Macedonians Paul was talking about? Well, if you remember what we just read earlier in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 12, it says, so they were setting sail from Troas. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman calling. We remained in the city some days. You see, Philippi is part of Macedonia. How do I know Philippi is the, the one Paul is talking about in this in, in this giving them. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn one page over to the right to chapter 4 of Philippians. Chapter 4 of Philippians. We're going to look at it from the beginning of verse 14. 14 through 16. Inspired by the Spirit, the Apostle writes these words. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You the Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. You see, being filled in an overflow of joy in Christ, the Philippians were moved to act in an act of love for others. They begged earnestly to take part and they sent their representative Epaphroditus to go. Epaphroditus was the one who went in person 
to make up what was lacking. During the apostle's time, even in prison, he went nearly risking his own life. When the poverty-stricken Macedonians begged Paul for the privilege of giving money to a benevolence fund, we may assume that's what they want to do. To be sure, they are denying themselves whatever food and clothing that money might have bought them. But their self-denial is not for the sake of some sterile, joyless act of duty. They're giving up the pleasure of extra food for the joy of sharing God's grace with others. These people are so full of joy in God that giving, even out of poverty, is not a burden, but a blessing. They have discovered the labor of Christian love. You see, my question earlier about being committed to Christ should radically cause us to give to missions. It wasn't meant to hurt you or give you a guilt trip, brothers and sisters. It was meant to provoke your hearts to consider the 7.8 billion people in this world with less, with just about 7 billion people who are currently in the state of perishing. With 7,600 unreached people groups with no gospel witness. And the laborers are not just few, but they are scarce or even non-existent. Did you know out of every 30 missionaries sent in all the world, one out of 30 even goes to an unreached people group area. If we're not willing to go to the nations, or at least if we're unable to, then are we willing to be obedient in our hearts with radical generosity? See, giving in this way must, should move us to joy, not reluctance. Love is the overflow of joy in God, which meets the needs of others. You know, this has really caused me to reflect even on my own life. How much am I willing to give up? Would I be willing to give up salary? Would you be willing to give up money to see our mission's budget grow for the sake of the gospel? We, would we be willing to give of our time and resources to how seeing the gospel reach the unreached? Do we give up of our time, even within the body of Christ, to be committed to care groups so that we can love one another and teach them to obey all that he has commanded us? Are we willing to reorientate our lives where we live? Where we go frequently at saying Starbucks every day? that McDonald's, where we work, whatever it is that the Lord has placed us in our lives, are we willing to do that for the sake of the gospel, to be made known amongst unreached peoples? And do we have joy in that? You see, just as the Philippians had great joy in God, Paul also rejoices over them. He too recognizes the test of severe affliction. And he has the same joy. This is a love that only comes from the grace of God. Look with me. It's back in chapter 4. Let's just move back a few verses to verse 10. Verse 10. Chapter 4 of Philippians. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity this is why he said, making up what is lacking in service earlier. But you, now that I'm, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Their abundant joy overflowed in a liberty, in a liberality, 
when Paul took up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. This is why Paul tells the Corinthians about the Macedonians. Paul gives the Macedonians an example of earnest love so that it might move them to love in this way. He wants to see if the Corinthians will imitate them. Piper says this. He says, the hindrance to loving other people in this is the same as the hindrance to worshiping God. The obstacle that keeps us from obeying the first vertical commandment is the same obstacle that keeps us from obeying the second horizontal commandment. Loving God and loving others. The obstacle is not that we are, we, we are all trying to please ourselves but that we are all far too easily pleased. We do not believe Jesus when he says there is more blessedness, more joy, more full and lasting pleasure in a life devoted to helping others than there is in a life devoted to our material comfort. Will we be willing to deny ourselves and be free of things keeping us from this kind of joy in God? Will we stop settling for the table scraps of this world and sink a table at the sea with the lamb at the wedding supper? Do we ask Christ to bring into remembrance the grace of God in such a way that it moves us to radical generosity? This is the spirit of our covenant for all at Grace Bible Fellowship. Let us be a people who love God and love others in this way. Again, our covenant principle, second paragraph, says, I will be a wise steward of God's resources by giving cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly to support GBF ministries, the needs of the saints, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. Beloved in Christ, the message we have for the world is the gospel. We have no other means by which people can be saved from themselves. That's why I said saved from themselves. We have to be saved from ourselves. It's not necessarily an issue of money in itself, but it's an issue of wise stewardship and worship. We pray, we give, and we go not just out of obedience, but it's an act of love given by the grace of God. Consider, as a way of responding to these truths, consider and pray that the Lord would have you commit in your heart and your giving and your going. Our outreach and our message budget is a very theological document. So we voted recently to approve the budget. It shows where our hearts are at. Are we willingly to go to the area of the Taramara people in the Sierra Madre Mountains, about 10 hours away in our bordering country? in a place where they're secluded from the rest of the world and never been civilized, don't even speak Spanish, and an area that's controlled by the Sianola cartel, who actually protects our missionaries out there because they saved even the cartel boss life. I love listening to Brother Walter tell that story, how one of them took a shot through the head and everything, and they saved him. They saved his life. And after that, the cartel ran all the thugs and criminals out of the area and said, you leave these people alone. They have access to some of the most unreached people in the world, in the mountains, protected by the cartels. So that those would know the name of Jesus. They don't even name their children for the first year of life because the mortality rate is so high.
I read from you today's devotion that I read from the Voice of Martyrs. It'll take just a minute. It's in the Roman catacombs during early church times. It says, early Christians were known for two things, prayer below ground and persecution above ground. The whole known world was against the Christians in the Roman Empire. Marcus Aurelius Antonius signed a decree in AD 162 naming anyone who professed to be a Christian as worthy of the most painful death. A period of almost four centuries of extreme secrecy began for the church. The church literally went underground, creating the Roman catacombs. A vast network of rooms and quarters was constructed beneath Rome for the burial of the dead. Yet these became the covert cathedrals of the early church. Believers could find a place of unhindered and unguarded worship and prayer. The catacombs showed the dedication of early believers to, to find a place to worship Christ. The broken, burnt bones of their tombs showed the intensity of the persecutions they suffered. Perhaps most significant are the secret tones of victory and peace inscribed on the walls. Despite the cruelty shown them above ground, below they decorated the walls with symbols of their faith and peace through the cross. It's not unusual to see cryptic inscriptions such as the following on the tombs, victorious in peace in Christ, or being called away, he went in peace. Or here lies Maria, who put to rest in a dream of peace. The key to their triumph is no secret, perfect peace in Christ Jesus. Many people keep their faith a secret their whole lives. They claim religion is a private matter, something between God and them alone. However, this was not so in the early church. Believers were so open in their faith that they were easily identified and persecuted. The Roman catacombs served as a private place for worship. However, above ground, their allegiance was no secret. This is why so many of them were martyred for their faith. The consistent open prayer below ground gave them the peace they experienced in persecution above ground. Has your faith been underground for the duration of your Christian life? It's time for the secret to come out. No matter the consequences, don't keep Christianity concealed. And I would add, let us testify to the hope that lies within us. Let us live our lives on purpose, gospel-worthy lives. So like the Philippian jailer would ask, what must I do to be saved? I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, if anything, pick up a book, a biography, of one of our fathers of faith who've been martyred or Fox's Book of the Martyrs that goes up to the 21st century, or Operation World that gives you all the statistics of the state of evangelicalism and ways to pray every day. You can download an app right on your phone. Read stories like George Mueller. Read stories like William Tyndale, who made it possible for large copies of scripture to be printed and that was burned. I think Paul said it best in Philippians chapter 4, verses 17 to 20. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Therefore, if we are committed to disciple making, then we'll first commit our hearts to Christ so that our hearts will be committed to loving others. And Christian, it will cause you to commit yourself to action. Christian, we're going to fail out of our efforts. Our own selfish sins will keep us from encouraging the brother. 
in our own vain efforts of happiness, we'll miss the mark and we'll try to glorify ourselves instead of him. However, through the grace of God, we can surrender to the call of the radical generosity. Repent and look to Christ. Count others more significant than yourself. Friends, maybe this seems like foolishness to you because the world tells you that no one will take care of you better than yourself. Get yours first, right? As, but let me tell you, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Turn to Christ, taste, and see that he is good. Come and receive the grace of God today so that you may know this kind of love. This kind of love. As we end our time, let us end it in Scripture in itself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written he has distributed freely he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to god and for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for the others, for all others. For they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And it actually ends, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let us pray. Lord, these were hard words to hear this morning. They were convicting words. These are words that pierce our heart. Leave us feeling inadequate. feeling like a failure or lacking. But we praise you, God, for that. Because you will make up what we lack. You will succeed through the finished work of your hands. And we know in the end you have given victory that will be represented from every tribe, tongue, and nation before the throne of God and in the great high priestly prayer of Jesus when he said, that he had accomplished the work that you gave him to do, we can say as brothers and sisters, as children of God, before your throne, as far as we can see from the east to the west, in one accord, after you have proclaimed well done and good and faithful servant, we can say that we have accomplished the work you have given us because we have believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. You have transformed us. You have called us to be not conformed by this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. To offer our bodies as holy and living sacrifices, our spiritual act of worship. Help us, Lord. To take the gospel to the 7,600 unreached people groups of this world. Help us, Lord, to take part in the relief of the saints, to even beg for the opportunities to give to the seven billion people perishing from this world. Because we know as the elders cried out who was worthy, it was the Lamb of God who is worthy None can take the scroll except for him.
and him alone covered in the blood slain for us along with the blood of the martyrs who cry out how long O Lord you are coming help us to look forward to that day when we see in Revelation chapter 22 the tree of life once again with its 12 kinds of fruits for the healing of the nations. Help us to find delight and joy in you above all through your grace, O oh God. And take joy in loving others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday at 9 a.m. for connections and at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the Baptist Student Ministry at 101 East University near UTEP. If you have any questions, you can dial 915 308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.